call unto thee, O Lord, and send down my life to guide us, for we are weak and afraid, and we lack knowledge. There is no one to hear your plea, no one to answer you, no one to ease your suffering. Lord, have mercy upon us. Hey, hey, welcome to the NY Patriot Show. Here we delve deep into the abyss, covering topics such as occultism, spirituality, secret societies, conspiracies, and the unknown. Join us in trying to put these pieces together and figuring all this shit out. The NY Patriot Show. What's up? Welcome back to the NY Patriot Show. Uh, today, I'm very happy to have back a returning guest. Uh, he killed it with his first four-part series for the Skinwalker, Nimrod, first Skinwalker. Today, we have back, uh, oh, and an amazing artist as well. Can't forget that. Uh, we have back uh, Robbie Marks. Uh, Rob, would you like just to say what's up and I guess maybe let people know kind of what your deal is and what you do? Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> I am Robert Marks. I'm an artist, and um, I've basically been doing art for the past 35, 40 years professionally. Um, and during that time, I basically go through and research different subject matters. Um, the last thing we talked about was the Nimrod um, Skinwalker story. Um, and this is one of the other subjects that I've been researching in regard to ancient Bohemia and Prussia and where a lot of these um, experimental societal things kind of came from that they're kind of pushing on us now. Nice. Awesome. So, yeah. And if anybody yeah. hasn't heard your uh, last series, there's new listeners or whatever. Definitely go check that out. It's a four-part series, and this guy, like, really put a lot of information mm -hmm. into that. I mean, the series itself was probably close to seven hours, so, I mean, yeah. my man had a lot of paperwork he had over there reading and going over, right. so right. I definitely yeah. suggest, if you have the time to pay attention, go listen to that series. And, you know, it's crazy because uh, this is something that, like, I've had this storyline in my head for probably two or three years, and I just keep kind of digging further and further into it. And last night I sat down to actually, you know, do the timescape and get things in the order so we can talk about them. And basically from about 9.30 last night until 3 in the morning, I was getting all this, all the ducks in a row, man, so we could go through this pretty, pretty. And, you know, there's certain characters that we have to talk about just to kind of set the scene in this region. Awesome. Um, let's see. So if we go back as far as 800 um, Charlemagne established what was called the First Reich, or, you know, mm -hmm. like, uh, as far as you have these, and it's generally the idea of um, the, the power of the country um, to, you know, um, establish the Volk or, the, you know, to, to keep the, the, the people's movement alive in regard to their culture. Um, and if we go into uh, Germany and the Rhineland itself, um, it's the oldest state in Europe. And it actually predated 
um, England and France and Hungary and Poland. And um, what what basically happened was, um, let's see if we go. Um, I'm glad you're bringing up the first Reich because, like, I don't think people realize the last one was called like the Third Reich. Was the, the third right yeah what was the first two first off <laughs> right right so you know that that philosophy goes all the way back to charlemagne um in 800 so um let's see and now one of the other factors we have to bring up is um the house of stuart um in scotland right and um basically when you look at that whole line, uh, that whole bloodline, um, you have the whole William the Bruce, um, who was basically the high, uh, you know, the the Highlander in Mel Gibson's movie there, <laughs> and he's the one that went around and gathered all the Scottish tribes together, um, you know, to fight, and um, that line basically comes down to Mary Queen of Stuart, um, who. There was there was basically to keep it short there was basically a trial that she was um, in a plot to assassinate the Queen of England. Oh, so and she was next up as the Queen of England. So you know she had basically they say she had motive, um, and nonetheless they chopped her head off, right? Um, and but she had one daughter who. Um, they shipped off, um, and it was Elizabeth was the daughter, and she became the queen of Bohemia, right? Um, she became the winter queen. She only ruled for, for one season. Um, before, Funny, I was going to say, that sounds like some scandalous Game of Thrones shit. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Um, yeah, totally. You just um, said winter. <laughs> yeah. So now also, uh, and that was about um, 1300 that the House of Stuart was established in Scotland. And you figure Scotland um, was set up by Queen Scota, um, who was a fleeing Egyptian princess, right? And basically that was the, that's where the House of Orange came from in all oh, okay. the bloodlines, right? And um, in what is it? Holy Blood, Holy Grail, um, they actually suspect that um, Queen Scota, um, I believe it was Holy Brother, Holy Grail, but that Queen Scota was actually Mary Magdalene, you know. Oh, so going all the way back to the, the whole biblical, you know. Um, but nonetheless, so uh, now back into the to Rhineland and into Bohemia, right? In uh, 1438, um, the Habsburg dynasty um, is, is, is basically being established. And um, and that's they, a big name, isn't it? I mean, I've oh, heard that before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And well, the thing was, um, much like Lawrence of Arabia in the book The Seven Pillars, um, how he goes in and basically sets up the lowest of the Saudi families, and and it's the one that they all detested. Um, but then they elevated them to the kingship um, and gave them rulership over all the people that once like looked down on them, you know, um, this is very much the same case, um, where the Habsburg, um, like, uh, title, as far as them establishing that kingship, um, was handed down almost as an insult, um, because the, the current ruling, um, princes of Saxony and Bavaria, who were the greatest ruling princes of this time, they looked at it as an empty title, right? Uh, but the thing was, 
um, the Habsburgs were controlled by Rome, very much like uh, Lawrence of Arabia went in and set it up so that the Saudi oil was controlled by the British, you know. Yeah, I've heard that about the Habsburg before. I've I've only heard them a little bit about that name, but I have heard the same thing you're saying now, being controlled. Well, and, and, you know, they were kind of, um, they were really looked down upon. But what they did was they married the kids off into all the families and slowly, like, you know, co-opted those families and brought them into the the Habsburg, you know, kingdom. (laughs) So, excuse me. Um, So, let's see now. Um, for, so now, and it was around, um, 1517, right? And I'm just going through some of these dates so we can kind of see the background of the, where we're headed with the story, right? Awesome. Um, in 1517 was when Martin Luther basically went and hammered the 72 theses to the church door, you know, basically, uh, uh, expelling the church for selling, um, entryway into heaven. They were basically, yeah. So the church, it got to the point with the Catholic church, right? That they were they were selling. Um, you know, if you you commit, you could commit whatever sins you wanted, and you just paid enough to the to the Vatican, and they would forgive you of all your sins and say that you still you know maintain the place of heaven. So Luther thought that this was you know out of hand when they were selling, you know. Um, grace basically and so he protested against the church and and this is when lutheranism started right and lutheranism versus catholicism is a big part of what the story is because you essentially have the holy roman empire which is the roman church right and they're basically ruling as god men over the roman empire which at the time you know is is so they say that one of the biggest empires on earth. Um, but nonetheless, when you had the rise of Lutheranism, you basically have this splitting away from the crown and the altar, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this this idea, and this is also with Mary Queen of Stuart, when, when um, Elizabeth went to Bohemia, you also have the beginning of the rise of the Jacobins, right? And... <laughs> So the Jacobins were basically behind the idea that Mary Queen of Stuart in Scotland um, had been wronged, and and they wanted that bloodline back on the the crown of England, right? Um, but it had split, and basically the Stuart line went to Bohemia and married in with Frederick, and at the same time you have this this push of Lutheranism breaking away from the church. So you have this rise of, of um, essentially questioning the narrative that is that is going on. Because what you also have at the same time is you have... Um, Where did you mention the Jacobins were from again? You said Scotland? Yeah, so basically um, when Mary, Queen of Stuart, had her head chopped off for conspiring to kill the queen, um, the, the, there was like an underground movement um, of individuals that wanted the Stuart line back on the, the English crown, right? So that underground thought line became the Jacobins. And they basically, you know, were to overthrow crown and altar and to bring back the Stuart line, you know, over the, over the line that had, uh, that had basically taken over. 
you know. Um, I think that's like the same story. I always forget the name of this fucking show. But there was a show, uh, uh, Outlander, I think it might be called. I think oh, that's yeah. the name of it. Yeah. Does, isn't that like kind of like telling the same story you were just saying right there with him? Yeah, I mean, the character in that, I watched that with my wife, but the character in that is Jamie, and he's a Jacobin. Um, and he basically um, has to flee to America, you know, and, and that's how they end up in their little settlement <laughs> there on that that whatever that ridge there on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah end up on yeah, a boat so, and then wake up in the United States. <laughs> right. But he was a Jacobin. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 And as you see, he's also Scottish, mm. you know, cause he's that's why kid. I asked you. Cause I was like, yeah, I think yeah. this sounds so like you, that you show is carrying into and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, um, I wonder if they're, they're using a lot of the current media and the myth telling that they're doing with, with, uh, television and movies if they're actually using it to brag about um some of the subversion and plotting that they've done in the past yeah well you have this show which i've wondered about that because i've actually just through my own research on stuff Mm -hmm. i've even come across stuff that went back to that um i don't know if you ever heard of this show called succession it might be on HBO. I'm not sure what it's on. I, I have apps. You know, everybody's got apps that they're borrowing from other people. Oh, so, yeah. like, sometimes I even put shit on. I don't even know what the fuck I'm putting it on. But yeah. uh, I think it's called Succession. And I had uh, Johnny... Uh, fuck, I forgot his last name. Holy shit. I had, this, I had a guest on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cerucci. Johnny Cerucci. Yeah. <laughs> and he was going on about something about the Romulus and the Piers family. Mm. And I was like, yo, I was like, those are characters inside that fucking movie Succession. I was like, one of yeah. the sons' name is Romulus, and one of the companies that the fathers always start trying to take over is mm. uh, is the Pierce family, the Pierce Corporation. I was like, mm. is this like mm. fucking like they're retelling stories from the past? Well, and it's yeah, you gotta wonder, man. You gotta wonder. Um, so yeah, now um, now with all the idea of Luther and the split off of the church, right? Um, Oh, real quick, and I hate to interrupt you, but real quick, no, just no, for, no. for me and for the listeners too, what is yeah. the difference with Lutheranism, whatever that is? I mean, I've heard um, of it, but I don't. So I couldn't tell you now, what it is. Basically, it was. Um, yeah, we're going to get into that right here. Mm. So, um, sorry, Luther was was actually in Bohemia from 1520 to 1530, right? And um, in 1522, Luther had gone to Rome and saw what was going on with the Renaissance. And just how culted it had become and how a lot of the uh, sophistry had begun to invade the church um, and basically was bringing in a lot of pagan aspects. Um, And he rejected the Renaissance and went back to Germany and he basically took the Bible that was in Latin, which was an occulted language, right? Nobody could read Latin. It was a dead language. Only the priests knew lang- you know, the Latin, right? So as far as the, the mass and when people, when people would come to church, they would hear the Dominus Ex Dominus, and, and but they wouldn't have any clue what they were saying, you know? So basically it was like occulted almost where, you know, we're, we're the priest class, you come to the service. We forgive you of your sins. You make alms. And then that was the whole uh, argument between acts and faith as far as if doing actual acts on earth would, would level you up or if just having faith was enough, right? Uh, but nonetheless, Luther 
took that Latin Bible, right, and translated it into German. So all of a sudden, anybody had, you know, well, anybody in Germany had access to the literal translation into their own tongue. So now, basically, instead of having to rely on the priest class, um, they basically relied on their interpretation on a personal level of reading the Bible. And, and there was actually, um, what's the name of them? The ultraquists who were Protestants, right? And they basically um, adhered to strict interpretations of the Bible as well as Thomas Aquinas. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like, there's, there's all the shifting philosophy and you have, uh, you know, coming up, you have the invention of the printing press and you have, um, you know, all, so let's see, uh, and what the other thing that the, the translation of the Bible into the common language did was break down the idea of the divine right of Kings, right? So now you have a whole people that don't think that necessarily the head of the the Holy Roman Church um, is um, handed down from God, and and that that the idea that um, he has the right to establish kingships, right? Because all the kings were given their their crown and their title um, through um, the you know the Holy Roman Church, and basically if the, if the pope didn't decree you as a king then you didn't have any rule right so this kind of also fractured that idea so you know um and have you heard anything about the pope trying to get rid of some form of catholicism or something i think he's trying to get like kind of get rid of or something well i mean i what i see right now is a big push towards like a one world religion um where they're basically saying that you know, um, Catholicism, Judaism, Muslims, Buddhists, it's all, it's like a wagon wheel and all the spokes go to the center. Um, yeah, I have a friend is, who was in the OTO and he ended up leaving, but now he goes to like, he was telling me something about some Latin or Greek type of like church. Now he goes uh, to that instead. And he's like, he's, and then he was telling me how like the Pope is actually trying to like remove that. that well, now that's when like, you what get the into fuck? Yeah, well, there was the schism um, between Eastern Orthodox and um, the Vatican, basically. So um, you have that fundamental split where Eastern Orthodox basically looks at the modern, um, you know, church as a bunch of idol worshipers. Um, So, you know, there's a fundamental schism between the East and the West of the the Catholic Church as well. That's much later. That's much later, you know. But now, as a result of this schism and Luther translating the Bible, right, um, it was in 1540 that we have the founding of the Jesuits in Paris, right? And now the Jesuits, when you get into the Jesuits and you look at Ignatius Loyola, um, he basically wanted to be like a crusader, um, and at one point, even he got um, popped in the streets of Italy, and he had Illuminati um, like material, 
Um, and, and so they suspected him of working with the Illuminati as far as like the Bavarian Illuminati. Right. But that wasn't, that was, wasn't until 1776 when we see the Bavarian Illuminati, but nonetheless, Luther had some sort of a luminist manuscripts that he got busted with at one point. Right. Um, and, and Luther, I mean, not Luther, but, um, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, right? He ended up getting his leg shot out with a cannonball, right? So one of his legs ended up being shorter than the other, which kind of ended his whole career in regard to military campaigns and being a warrior for God, right? Uh. So basically, as he's laying in bed and he's contemplating, um, he, he was reading a lot. And he ended up reading this Gnostic book about how um, Jesus had, was basically um, looking for the goddess Sophia to basically return her to her divine realm. And there's this underlying Gnostic theme that's in the Bible that's been there for a long time where there's, you know, the the exterior and the interior, but then there's also the Gnostic interpretation where they view Jesus as coming down. And basically the, the miscellaneous uh, women in the Bible um, he's associating with to try to find the Gnostic Sophia to return her, Um, you know, so, um, but nonetheless, um, Ignatius Loyola, he got infatuated with this idea and basically um, as he was meditating in a cave, um, there was an earthquake and there was a crack that formed in the cave. And he came up with the idea at that point of establishing the Jesuit order where instead of, you know, and the Jesuits are the army of God, right? They are the army of the Vatican. Yeah, I was going to say the but, Vatican too. And aren't they also like in charge of studying occultism? Kind of in they a sense. Do. Oh yeah. 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 Like they're supposed um, to. Like I've even seen on TV. I think they're supposed to like they go over old or old artifacts or like any old stuff. They try to decipher it and figure it out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now the Jesuits, um, when they were founded, um, they basically were. It was more the idea of psychology and psychological warfare, and they were hunting down these Lutherans. And, and if the Lutherans were coming into the Catholic countries and because they were, they would, they would come in and they would preach in people's houses and try to convert people. Right. And a lot of these houses, they, you know, hearkening back to the Nazis and looking for the Jews, you know, um, these houses, they would build secret panels and they would build like secret nooks. And there's a book, um, what's it called? Um, God's uh, the spies of God or God's spies. Um, but they talk about how, you know, some of the writings from these Lutherans that were sneaking in, they would have to fit in these, you know, super crooked little areas and stay there for hours. Like while the oh, you know wow. Catholics were searching for, and they would execute them, you know, on the spot. But nonetheless, the Jesuits were in charge of hunting these people down. Right. Um, as well as going around and, you know, the Jesuits were actually going out very early on um, in the early 1600s and they were setting up communist um, communities in Africa and in parts of Greece and basically running um, societal experiments where they were trying to, you know, see how a commune or 
a system of government will, would work best for the whole, right? So this uh-huh. kind of gets into the whole utopian philosophy and what would come with, you know, um, who are the, you know, all, all the miscellaneous utopian writers from Francis Bacon to, you know, Locke and Hume. And um, so now um, it was in 1550 um, that the France act, France actually sent in military into um, the Rhineland and Bohemia to defend the Lutherans from being, you know, discriminated against, right? And and this is when you start to have the um, import of a lot of the Huguenots, which were basically, um, they believed in their own interpretation of the Bible, and they were like strict fundamentalists, right? So they were like what became like the Puritans almost, um, but they came into the Rhineland and into Bavaria, and because they were seen as, you know, so up, upright and upstanding, they started to gain all these teaching positions and these different positions where they're basically educating children, and they instilled the ideas of, you know, doing a good job, um, your honor and your duty, like all these things that would begin to build in Prussia um, what became the Second Reich um, under the Kaiser, um, which became, you know, the most unstoppable military force on the planet, which is why Britain wanted to take out Germany, at, you know, around World War One, right? Yeah. Um, so now, um, let's see, and it was in 1550 that they divided Germany um, because, now see what had happened was this area um, it's kind of uh, landlocked, um, and you've got the Rhine River running through there, right? And at the top of that, you would have Venice, okay? And all the goods came into Venice as far as a trading port, right? That was, and you have the movement of the banking class of the Phoenicians moving to the Venetians. So you have um, all the trade in this area of the Rhineland. Um, basically built up, um, they built castles and they had, and it was, you know, well defended and basically all of the money of Europe was run out of this area, right? Because you had the mass trading in Venice and everything went down the Rhine and all the money keepers were, were in this area. Um, so, um, it, it was like the most prosperous, some of the most highly intellectual people. They were trading literature with France as far as the philosophies of the Enlightenment, right? Oh, and um, so you've, uh, you've and, and what happens in 1562 is in Bohemia, you have the first spark of what would become the free the overall freedom movement the push for freedom as as a movement for all of of mankind right um and and this is the rising up against the philosophy of the church with those those lutherans and those calvinites and those those different uh classes that were beginning to believe that you know um the pope wasn't a god man necessarily and that he didn't have the divine right to to make kings, right? Um, so let's see. Uh, under Maximilian in Bohemia, um, he basically said that um, you're free to practice whatever religion you want here, right? And so 
you had all the Jews coming in, you had the Lutherans coming in, and you had um, that's when the the Utterquists basically stepped forward. They were the first Protestants. They stepped forth and they openly decreed their beliefs and started practicing with their own church and everything, right? And because of how this area had built up as far as its isolation um, and its kind of separation and the, the, you know, and back to ancient Saxony and back to, and, and you figure the um, Bohemia itself, right, goes back to a Celtic tribe, which was called the Boi, B-O-I-I. And, mm. um, right, so by, and, and by um, 191, it was a Latin colony. Um, and was mostly um, filled with Slavic Czech people by four to five hundred, right? And this is also the same area that you, have you heard of the book The Bohemian Tarot? Yes, I have heard of that actually. Yeah, so um, it's kind of a hard book to come across, um, but in this Bohemian Tarot, um, which is written by a character called Pappus. Um, it, it claims to be the oldest book. Um, let's see. Oh, here we go. Um, flip this around. So it claims to be the most ancient book in the world, right? So this book, um, in that region, um, within the mystical, you know, societies, um, you know, basically it entails... Um, the manner in which tarot works in regard to yad heh vah uh, as far as right as far as a cyclical system right and so yad would be the first card uh-huh. and they would be the second card and yad heh vah and then va would be a synthesis of those first two cards right and those three cards together give you the final yad hey va the final hey yeah right yeah which is the beginning of the new system okay so basically the it it as a construct shows how um cosmic energy moves and flows oh right? yeah that would even work with the tarot because like the last you know yad hey vav hey the hey the last right. one would be earth which is like taking the other three and now making it concrete Make, and bringing it into physical reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but nonetheless, we're going to bring up this Bohemian Tarot book later on. In the, nice. In the, um, but I just wanted to, you know, toss that in there just for reference, right? So now um, we have Maximilian who's allowing the religious freedom, right? Um, but now when Maximilian dies, um, basically the laws change. And there's a a religious edict, um, let's see, that that deprives the Bohemians of their religious freedom, right? And now the Bohemians, you know, these are well-educated people that are trying to move away from the rule and authority of the crown and do their own, you know, thing within their own realm. And... um, so this this results in the Battle of White Mountain, right? And basically, um, this was uh, a revolt that the Habsburgs went in and 
basically put down the Bohemians, right, um, in the name of the, the Roman church, okay? So um, basically before, um, let's see, here we go. Um, yeah, so it was 21,000 Bohemian soldiers against 23,000 of Ferdinand's Roman troops, right? And um, basically, they didn't kill a lot of people, but it nonetheless collapsed, you know, the movement, and, and they were able to bring Catholicism, you know, on some level back into that region, you know, until another you know and and when you get into all these these miscellaneous bloodlines and these stories and you start going through them it's like murders by poison you know so and so fell off a cliff so and it's just like at such a rapid rate that that it's hard to even keep up with who a lot of these people are you know um but nonetheless um that was the first push um of essential freedom to fight back against the Holy Roman emperor in regard to crown and altar. Right. Mm. And, and at the same time you have this underlying Jacobite movement that's <laughs> agitating, which also has the same philosophy of overthrowing the crown and the altar. Yes, right? yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're using Bohemia as, uh, as you know, um, a, almost, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's the ground where, um, you see the most um, interrelationship between the the Catholic and the Lutheran philosophy and the divide, and that want to establish a break from the church, that schism, right? Um, but nonetheless, that got put down, and and you know the Bohemians basically had to suffer under you know um, the rule for for quite some time. Um, but then we have let's see, uh, in uh, 1596, right? This is when basically it was 1567 when Mary Queen of Scots head was, was almost chopped off. They almost got all the way through, but they didn't. And, and the descriptions talk about, you know, once they hit the first time and it didn't go all the way off, like uh. Mary Queen of Scots was trying to talk and, and they had to get the second one before her head rolled, right? Um, but in um, 1596, that was when uh, Mary Queen of Scots' daughter went to Bohemia and became, became the Queen of Bohemia with Frederick V, right? And, and now Elizabeth, when she went in, um, she only ruled for one season, right? before it got super crazy and they had to flee right and they ended up fleeing to the hague right in switzerland because william the prince of orange um was her protector right so now if we see prince william as far as of the orange right and we look back to queen scota who established the line of orange in scotland we can see the links between um, Queen, you know, Elizabeth of Bohemia, um, and Mary Queen of Scots, as far as the whole Scottish aspect of, you know, uh, William of Orange basically being her protector because she is a Scottish queen, 
right? So mm. she goes to the egg and is protected there while essentially what happens at this point is the 30-year war kicks off, right? And the 30-year war is kind of something that most people don't talk about a lot, but this was basically the struggle between the princes of the Rhineland, the Bohemia, and the Plantinate that that were base it was basically the struggle between the lutherans and the christians and who was going to rule the area as far as religious philosophy um and and you know some of the generals you know some of them went crazy and ended up taking their own power um it it's it's but nonetheless this struggle of the 30-year war um lasted um from 1618 to 1648 right and ended in the Peace of Westphalia, um, which the Peace of Westphalia ended up lasting 150 years after this, right? Um, but it basically established the rule of the Habsburg and the Bourbon balance of power. Um, and it's and it's interesting also at this time that when they talk about um, these different burghers and all these different um, princes, that they speak of them as corporate nobility right so so they're using corporations at this time to basically run the the power of the monarchy as a business you know in in this region um and let's see but now the population of prussia at that point because of the 30-year war right it goes from two million down to seven hundred thousand that's how much they went in and decimated more than 50%, right? Yeah. In general, in this area um, where all these, you know, Sweden, Pomerania, um, Bohemia, Brandenburg, like, um, and, and all these areas were battling one another, right? And, um, you know, it got to the point where, you know, the, the mutilations were out of control. They said that the Swedish... Um, king who was the win- you know the winter king um, he basically rode to, and he he did uh, worse mutilations and worse torture than they had ever seen of the Saracens of the time or the Muslims of the time and the Muslim and Christian crashing right um, so these guys in, in Sweden were really vicious as far as because you know they were at one point they were you know tried you know tribesmen basically um so you're looking at tribes turning into these regions and turning into these princely areas and it was in um the rhineland in brandenburg um bohemia um in the german area where they established what was called the burger society and these burgers um b-u-r-g-h-e-r right they were based it, it relates to the idea of a burg which is a mountain or a slope, right? So these were the shepherds of old, those that took care of the, and again, like we have in Egypt, we see the shepherds coming in and basically subverting Egypt, you know, and and here again, we see the burg or the burgers, those that, that dwell on the slopes, you know, that tend to the, the herding animals, they become, and not only do they take control of the land, but they also start to become the uh, the caretakers of the people, right? So so wherever that burger had his land and his 
his um, animals, um, whoever was on that land, he kind of also took care of them too, right? So, but this was during the time of serfdom, right? So you didn't get paid. You basically had a job and you got fed. And that was, you know, and you had maybe a place to sleep. Socialism. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Well, in a, in a lot of ways. yes. (laughs) And, you know, there were societies that, you know, when they took care of their populace well, that they were very prosperous Mm -hmm. and they did good. But there were other times where, especially when the Roman empire started coming in and inserting the tax system, you know, um, and it's funny because if you read the writings of uh, Himmler, right, under Hitler, um, he talks, he talks <laughs> well, are you about, saying it's Himmler that wrote it, but Hitler took the credit for it? Is that what you're saying? Or, he, or no, Hitler, no, no, oh, no. all right. Because <laughs> I think a lot yeah. of shit Hitler was, you know, a lot of that was Himmler, my, my, my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, Heinrich Himmler, right, um, when you read his writings about Bohemia and Prussia, um, and the Rhine, basically the Rhineland or the bulk as they called it. Um, he talks about the, the, the idea that snow, the story of Snow White um, is actually about the Roman Empire coming in and crushing Germany, right? Oh. Um, and, and first, you know, Himmler talks about first they brought the girdle where they basically tightened it up, you know. So they went in and, and they created the 30-year war and, and created the famine and, and basically brought the, the place back under the, brought it under the rule of the Romans, right? But he says the, the poison apple, right, um, was actually when the Romans brought the monetary system in and, and you know, basically took over the money supply of the region, you know? Um, so, um, but back to, back to the whole story. Um, let's see. And, and that's where I get into the, the idea that like we had talked about where, um, Germany and Prussia at this time, um, Prussia specific or not Prussia, but, uh, Bohemia specifically was used like we're using Ukraine right now in regard to trying to subvert the rising cold war with Russia. You know, and and does that have to do with the banking system? Because Russia had gotten off of the the International Monetary Fund and out of the World Bank system and paid off all their loans, you know. And and so now they're sitting over there and, you know, after, you know, before it's it's like we're back at war again with them, you know. Uh So it's, it's just interesting when you follow the money class through all, and it's very much the same here, you know, as far as, as, uh, um, but nonetheless, that burger system, right. Um, of the bergs and, and tending of the people. And, um, that's where we get the word bourgeoisie, right. Um, in the, in the Marx writings. So, or like when the kids say now bougie, you know, <laughs> um, so, so basically it was this burger class, um, that was tending to and caring for the people as serfs um, that were the first um, aristocratic or upper class kind of people, right? Um, and that's where Marx um, and the term of bourgeoisie came from um, and again handed down, you know, into modern um, political vernacular. Um, Doesn't it seem like every, so, any country that ever wants to like break away from some monetary system that they kind of like got forced into, they always have a problem with, with, with oh, always, always, <laughs> they man. always have a war with somebody after they do that. 
Yeah. And and the banks fund both sides. Yeah. You know? It's uh let's see. So now as a result of all this, um we still have risings up of miscellaneous dukes and and um in sixteen ninety one the Duke of Tuscany, um, he becomes his own royal highness and he crowns crowns his wife queen. Um, in 1692, the Dukes of Savane and Lauren also crowned themselves as kings of their region, um, separate from the Holy Roman Empire. Um, and then it's in 1703 that the Elector of Brandenburg becomes the first king of Prussia, right? But the Prussian kingdom would not be founded for another hundred plus years, right? Um in 1815 um so let's see um and it was in um 1714 that we have sophia of hanover who's one of elizabeth's daughter the queen of bohemia that we talked about um she basically from the act of 1701 her son becomes george the first and actually they take back over the english crown at that point Jeez. right so you do see this this whole line yeah. of of um, you know secession, um, keeping it in the family, yeah. or in the same yeah. circles, really. Right, um, and he becomes let's see George the first King of Britain and Ireland. Um, now this is the point where I want to get into James the Bruce. Where did I put it? There it is. Oh, I had to dig this out the other last night. Um, now, is, is this like the same dude that was in, uh, fuck, I forgot that movie with uh, Mel Gibson? That was his great-great-grandfather. Okay. okay. <laughs> you knew what well, I was talking about. about we, yeah, we talked about him initially, right? As And he, he married into the Stuart line that was Mary, Queen of Stuart, that had her head chopped off. Daughter gets sent to Bohemia, right? When that line comes back around, now we're in like 1730, right? And James the Bruce, who he's like 15 years old when the Jacobites are in full rebellion and doing their thing. Um, and he's born in Lambart, Scotland, right? And he goes to Edinburgh University. Um, he studies law. Um, he comes from an aristocratic family, you know. Um, but nonetheless, he wanted to join the Indian East Tea, the uh, East India Tea Company, right? He wanted to be a merchant in the opium wars. He wanted to go get rich oh, fuck off the opium trade that was going <laughs> on, right? So uh, basically, um, he applies and they reject him. They're like, "You're not, you're not material for the East India Tea Trading Company," right? So instead, he becomes a wine merchant, right? Um, so. Now, he's basically with the wine, he's traveling all over, you know, to all these different regions. And as a result, he learns multiple languages, right? He's fluent in Arabic, Spanish, Portuguese, and this language called Ge'ez, right? Um, which is the language of the Ethiopians. Okay. 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 So uh, now in... Um, Let's see, 1775, this is the year before the American Revolution, um, his family finds coal, and he becomes richer, so he starts to travel more, right? Um, let's see, we don't, he gets shipwrecked um, in Africa, 
1762. Um, and he's looking for the source of the Blue Nile, right, in Egypt because of all his studies. And basically he wants to find this, the mystic source of the blue, the side that's the life-giving, mm. right? Um, and the other side's the White Nile, which, I mean, the Blue Nile has um, – more nutrients in it so it's it's better at growing plants and stuff so he sets out on this journey to find the mouth of the the blue nile right and through the course of going through e ethiopia um he gets taken captive and um he ends up associating while he's a captive he ends up associating with the ethiopian emperor right and kind of begins to philosophize with him and nonetheless they become friends and he ends up fighting with the emperor of ethiopia in in some different battles right um but now when he finally comes back to france in 1773 he brings with him three copies of the book of enoch so this is the origin of bringing the book of Enoch into the vernacular of the conversation of the dialectic. Oh, wow. That late. Yeah. yeah. So 17, we're talking, um, three years before the American revolution, yeah. um, is when this book of Enoch show. And the funny thing is he shows up with, you know, not just one or two, but three copies of this book. Right. Um, and now, um, this book, the book of Enoch is basically an apocryphal Jewish text, um, from 300 to two BC, which gives all that precursory information about the angels and the, you know, and, and, you know, the giants and uh, the night journey and all the story of Enoch basically. Um, now when we look at Bruce as a character himself, right. Um, he was a Mason. He was in the Cannon Gate uh kill winning lodge number two of edinburgh so he was in the second established lodge, and that that first established lodge in edinburgh is at the castle of edinburgh and it it has stones um the black stones from the meteor that fell that some of them ended up in the kaaba at mecca some of those same black stones are also in the foundation stone of the castle of edinburgh right um, which ties into a lot of the stuff when you start getting into um, the Masonic orders and the Shriners and how that ties back into the whole um, Muslim philosophy and getting into Sufi philosophy, you know, which, which is a whole nother line of really interesting thought. Uh. Um, so now also Bruce, he was six foot four inches. So he was a tall guy. He had red hair and he was ill tempered, right? So this is the guy that goes to Ethiopia and brings back the book of Enoch and introduces it into, um, and now then because of that expedition and what he brought back in 1774, he becomes a fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the story of the book of Enoch that I wanted to get in there. <laughs> I didn't know that shit like was... Damn. So recent. Uh, yeah, for real. Yeah. So, and and then. And three you know, years prior to the United prior States. To the American Revolution. Yeah. You know, kind of like them finding the Dead Sea Scrolls right as they're establishing the, the uh, you know, state of Israel. 
you know, five days after the founding of the CIA, you know, it's, uh, it all gets very, you know, though it's, it's a wicked web, man, that, that, you know, and no matter where you go, it, it's, it vibrates strangely, you know, so let's see, um, okay, so that was Bruce, um, now let's see, what are we looking at Tom was here? Yeah, we can keep going, man. We can go for another uh, 40 minutes if you want. Go for like minutes. an hour and a half. Yeah, maybe, we may be able to wrap it up by then, man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, let's see. So now in uh, 1751 to 1765, right, we have this character um, who is called, have you ever heard of Voltaire? Yes. Yes. So Voltaire was considered to be like the godfather of the enlightenment right and he was very anti-church he was very against crown and altar he was he was basically um it got to the point when he was in france that because of some of the things that he wrote he ended up having to flee um out of france and he ended up over in bohemia and in Brandenburg and in the Rhineland and the Plantagenet area that we're talking about as far as Bohemia and, and, you know, Prussia. Right. So, um, and this is already after the empire of Prussia. Um, let's see. So yeah, it's, it's at the point where, um, we're looking at Frederick the great is ruling over Prussia. Right. And so Voltaire, he basically, um, is taken, in by frederick the great as a great philosopher mm. right even though he had to flee france um because of his sophistry and his rhetoric um so him and frederick the great they're like hanging out and they're like you know um and what ends up happening is they start to conspire basically to overthrow the church and the crown and you know you can get into uh the miscellaneous letters between voltaire and frederick and you know voltaire is always like we have to crush the beast we have to crush the you know and and he's just like all about crushing the the holy roman church right so um at one point he makes a suggestion to frederick the great that well what if there was a uh, a town where um it was just all philosophers and we could write about you know um, utopian philosophy and these ideas and basically, you know, create the rhetoric to overthrow the crown. And, and so Frederick the Great's like, oh, that's a great idea. And so <laughs> he, he sends Voltaire to, to Germany, the German area, right? And they establish this little town and get this, this little town is a six by six um, mile square town. Again, how, how often do we have to see this shit? Man? Yeah, right. You know? So, uh, so uh, Voltaire basically he he establishes um, well, and let me let me first what they did was um, Voltaire was the one who wrote the first dictionary, right? Traditionally, the dictionary um, was a, a lineage of bloodlines. And kind of like how you see in Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. how they would open the book and they'd be like, oh, the Lannister this and they would, all the achievements and stuff that he, you know. And, and so that was what the dictionaries were in the beginning was the lineage of all the bloodlines and how they interacted. But now Voltaire took the term 
And what he did instead was he took all the words that were in common vernacular and gave them definitions, right? So by isolating all the words into a single book, when when they created this dictionary and published it and it went out to all the con- you know the different countries as the highest elevation of you know um the modern philosophy um you know when when a christian would look up the word religion you know um it would see it would say a a set of myths and beliefs you know and basically almost classify it on a very subtle level as something that is not real. You know what I'm saying? So it challenged the idea in the minds of the Christians just by simply taking the words and giving them a definition. Right. And we see now how, how many times have we seen the changing of definitions and the, you know, so in phil k dick you know he says you know if you can control the words that that people you know, if you can control the meanings of words you can control how people think basically right so nonetheless voltaire after this dictionary was when he suggested that they have this society of philosophers right so they set up this town and this town um basically becomes what is known as the encyclopedists right and so voltaire gets um different philosophers that basically agree with the ideas of overthrowing crown and altar and the idea of bringing forth this illumination or this enlightenment of man right based on reason um and and now when we get into voltaire he was very much a sophist and the the deal was in his younger days, before he fled France, he actually got thrown in the Bastille for like a year for subversive talk, right? Oh. So he knew what he knew what it was to be in jail. So basically, and and while he was in the Bastille, don't get me wrong, it was the start of some of his greatest writings when he was there because he had the time to focus. Um, but nonetheless, when he got out, he basically wrote in a manner that um, it was like double think you know where essentially Uh, you would say things in a sarcastic so basically if he ever got caught um and tried in a court of law the writing was in such a manner that it always complimented the crown while simultaneously making them look foolish you know so he had this way which is basically where we get the idea of sophistry you know because one of the things he said you know was uh when you're raising a student if you um if you talk about the idea and here we get into benjamin franklin putting the idea of happiness into the founding papers right but voltaire he delighted on this word happiness and he basically it was the idea that you know happiness is the end of all good things or it's there which in all delight lays right so by by teaching that to a student you automatically made them an epicurean which is a person who seeks delight and pleasure in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right? I know exactly what so, you're going with, with this. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at... It's like wordplay just to manipulate people. Yes, yes. So, wow. when you, you, you know, when you look at a lot of these, um, the way they frame things and the way they present, and it goes into, much later, Aldous Huxley 
and and getting into MK Ultra and the changing images of man, where basically they took anthropology as a whole and weaponized it. Right? They they took the things that um, that drive us that we see as moral and and use them in such a manner as to subvert our own sensibilities. Right? So um, nonetheless, Voltaire in this society of insight and later voltaire said it was one of the biggest mistakes he ever made recommending that he didn't think frederick the great was going to take him up on it and he said he wished he wouldn't have had to hang out in the woods that long with all these other writers basically orchestrating this shit right so but but what you have is at the same time one of these philosophers was diderot right who um basically um, wrote in, in a very similar manner um, as Voltaire. And what they did was um, they took Diderot and they elevated him through letters in the university system. Um, so basically they gave him the outward appearance of a, a well-trained, um, you know, uh, societally bound philosopher, while Diderot was actually in the woods in Germany writing all this propaganda to overthrow the crown and altar, right? And Diderot, um, as this was going on, he was also sent out, and he went to The Hague, and he met with Elizabeth, the Queen of Bohemia, right? And this was after Frederick, her husband, had died um, of smallpox, I believe it was. Um, But nonetheless, um, Diderot meeting um, Elizabeth at The Hague, they were, like, exchanging ideas, and, like, he was teaching her philosophy and teaching her, like, sacred geometry and, like, all these different kind of, uh, you know, um, new age kind of things that we see now that people are really into, right? Um, But nonetheless, they... They kind of had a philosophical love affair is what they called it. Um, and, and at the same time, Diderot was also um, seeing, who was it, uh, Catherine, the queen of Russia. So, you know, and he's basically trying to um, encourage them to change society from within. And Catherine, the queen of Russia, she says, if I followed the, the ways of Diderot, all my people would be on their head and the country would be broke, you know? So she saw the sophistry. She saw the, the, you know, the, the system that was seeking to subvert the crown basically. Right. Um, and, and so you have Diderot. So with this um, person Diderot, was it like they kind of, uh, I, I mean, I guess it's kind of like what the media does today, but I guess back then their version of it, where did they kind of prop this guy up on a pedestal? So then whatever came out of his mouth was considered like, you know, fucking gold. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's what they do now. <laughs> fucking, exactly. you know, people in the, you so, know, again, it's the idea of appeal to authority. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, which is a fallacy, you know, which is a lie basically. Um, but so now another thing, Diderot and Voltaire at one point, they traveled to France and um, they would go into the different cafes in France, right? And this is when Diderot was releasing his work. And um, we're going to get into uh, um, De, De Halbach um, here in a second. But Diderot and Voltaire, they would go into the cafes, right? And um, like Diderot would espouse some great religious, you know, meme. And then Voltaire would be like, 
Oh, but so basically they're they're running dialectics on people to their face, you know, very much like the news does now. I was right? going to say that news and, and memes is for sure. Uh, yeah, it's very mimetic. Um, but so what they would do is they would argue the conversation in a manner in which they would they would in, increase the philosophy of the Enlightenment. Right. And and then Voltaire at a certain point. You know, people not knowing who he was within the peasant class would just bow out, and then people would, you know, so they were they were on a subtle level inflecting these ideas through society. Um, they were going from from different crowns, you know, and basically um, inflecting these ideas within the royal classes. Um, and then we have the uh, the Albert, right? Um, who is another one of these encyclopedias, and he basically was um, of the burger class. He was of the aristocrats, and when um, he would associate with the royalty, he would be like, "We have the best philosophers coming from you know France," and he'd be like, "He'd be like, you know, if if you need education for your children, he's like, I can supply the philosopher, you know." So they started bringing these philosophers in to the crown and having them educate their children, you know, in this sophistry, in these ideas of Epicureanism, in these, you know, liberal philosophies that, that were being pushed to overthrow the crown and altar. Right. Um, so, and, and then um, it was the Hollenbach who wrote this book called the system of nature. Right. And he basically released this book and it was um, a history of the crown and the church and how they had gone into all these different nations and how they had overthrown them and subverted them and like the history of the plunder you know so so they're they're increasing enlightenment philosophy they're teaching the children of the royals through you know um soft capture they're um you know exposing the history of the plunder you know, and how they got their riches. So they're, and, and all this is fomenting, you know, um, and, and basically leads to the Enlightenment philosophy revolutions that we have from the American Revolution to the French Revolution, you know, right on down the line, right? So this is, this is the, and, and we're seeing this, uh, this schism of the church um, from crown and altar to the Lutheran Calvinists, you know, and, and, and all the, um, sophists, you know, and I was just listening to a Harvard professor about the sophists the other day in Greece. And funny enough, he said that they were the traveling salesmen. And that basically, <laughs> yeah. So again, we have this, 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 they were the class of, witnesses of the, of the wanderer <laughs> of the wandering class, you know, that basically comes in and, you know, and it's, uh, just, just interesting to, you know, to see all these, these patterns and how they cross and overflow. Um, now go ahead. You said earlier too, though, that, 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 um, that was also had like more of an occult side to it as well. Right. Yeah. So, um, I find that interesting. That. Uh, as far as the occult side, well, okay. Well, I'm saying, so, well, with Luther, I might have been confused with what you said it about. I thought, I know I before, I think I asked you a, a difference between things, and I thought you said one was a little bit more occulted, right? Well, um, some of the offshoots of Lutheranism um, got into um, 
different philosophers and well it was mostly at that time it was the catholic church the holy roman catholic church and the renaissance that was bringing in the sophistry and the ancient um uh kind of a lot of the philosophy we talked about in the nimrod series um they, they were bringing that into the catholic church you know so they were bringing the paganism back in um in the form of gnosticism um so that it was subvertly hidden in in regard to uh manufacture of sophistry right yeah Um, yeah i think gnosticism and catholicism really have a lot mm. kind of like interchange and i i don't know when uh this happened i know i had seen it on some kind of timeline show and they were talking about um you know, Christians being, or Catholics, whatever, being persecuted in the past, they did kind of use a lot of, uh, and now I don't know if this is when the Jesuits were killing them or who knows, Mm. Um, but they did use, like, a lot of symbolism back then to even, like, kind of, like, so each other knows who's who's who. Like, supposedly Mm. the Seder Square would go on, they put those on their fucking houses, or if you're out and, like, you could draw, like, part of the fish, the one way and the other person would draw the other parts. So both part, right? Yeah. So I was just wondering if like, if all that is influenced in any of that, yeah. but I don't know yeah. the time when that was going on. Well, and I mean, you had, you know, the, the various inflections from Ireland and their philosophy and like in Ireland, they would it, basically the, the doorway was a portal. It was called a Sheila. And so you, you have a lot of these, um, older philosophies of the Irish, of the Scottish, of the ancient, you know, Saxons, of the kind of all um, trying to be um, brought under control by the Roman Empire. And, and, and in a lot of ways, um, people philosophize that was the reason for the rise of Christianity um, and creating this, the moral system that they kind of stole you know, from, from the old Egyptian system and all the other pagan systems and kind of fabricated, you know, whole cloth under, you know, Saul or Peter. Um, but, um, nonetheless, so, so now Volt, here's one of the crazy things though. Um, Voltaire, um, he said that, you know, in his, in his letters, um, he said that he had, um, initiates, right. He could, and he talked about the fact that, um, he was initiating these people into a um, a modernized Mithraic mystery system, right? So in this town where the encyclopedias were, um, he actually ended up building a church. And it, in, on the church, it says to serve, you know, God. Um, but the thing is, you know, which God are we talking about? You know, so, um, but nonetheless, um, he... he um, at one point even initiated the head of the Jacobin order into his, um, his Mithraic mysteries. Right. Um, and he said he had also initiated, um, personally, he had initiated five Kings, two Queens and four princesses into this ancient Mithraic mystery system that he was. So here again, we see, this ancient, you know, you know, Mithraic philosophy dating back to Persian Zoroastrianism um, that's being brought up and propagated and used as a form of sophistry against the, the crown and altar of the Holy Roman, you know, see at this point, right? Um, and also after 
Voltaire had initiated the head of the Jacobins, um, the Jacobins created a ritual in which um, they had a ceremony where they had the apotheosis of Voltaire, right? So that they basically turned Voltaire into um, a god or one of the saints of Jacobinism, you know? So, and, and I think in a lot of ways, you can see this Enlightenment philosophy um, and this Jacobin um, entailment um, kind of later down the road proceeding to what would become the Bolsheviks, you know? Oh, as really? far as them going in and overthrowing the crown of Russia, you know, I'm still trying to find that exact <laughs> point. Um, but nonetheless, tying, tying the enlightenment and Voltaire to the Jacobins. Um, that was a pretty substantial point when I found out about these Mithraic mysteries that were going on in this encyclopedia town of six miles by six miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic square of the sun. Yeah, well, and Rome was also six miles by six miles. Washington, D.C., you know, was what, six? is it 60 miles by 60 miles? So they're leveled up. Yeah. You know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) Ah. So now... um, I do have a question. I have somebody asking. I don't know how to say this probably, though. Uh, Any connections to Swedenborgine or Borg... Uh, the Borgianese? Maybe. That's what yeah, Sweden I, and then B-O-R-G-I-A-N. Borgine? That very much sounds like uh, an alteration of the Berg, the Borgine, or the Bor. you know. Um, no, I haven't really looked into that. Um, okay. Let's yeah, I did get into the whole early, um, you know, Swedish um, army system and the general there that basically rewrote a lot of the uh, um, modern warfare tactics. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't gotten into that specific subject. Um, so now, let's see. And uh, with all that going on, right, um, it was in 1765 that we have the Habsburg line and they're marrying into all the different bloodlines in the region, um, basically taking soft control through, you know, um, through family lineage. But the Habsburgs in uh, 1765 align themselves with um, the Reich and basically for um, supremacy of the region. They're basically claiming that title at this point, right? And um, in, what, 10, 11 years later, um, we have the U.S. Revolution, right? And that's the same year we see um, Adam Weishaupt and the uh, exposition of the Bavarian Illuminati, you know, and that that whole order, um, you know, um, which we're not, that's a whole oh, subject yeah, matter, yeah, yeah. Man, you know. Um, but it wasn't until um, May 5th of 1789 that we had the French Revolution basically kick off. And um, with that, I did find information of the German Illuminists. I found two different sources of German Illuminists and their specific names that had been brought from Germany into France to oversee the lodges um, to, to basically run and facilitate the revolution. Um, and 
this was also the point at which those agent provocateurs of the French Revolution, um, they wore the red Phrygian cap, which I think we maybe talked about that briefly in the in another episode. Did yes. we talk about that? The cap. Yeah, I think you I think we you know, did like the, the Smurf hat, like the red Smurf hat. Yes, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, so basically in the Golden Age, um, during the time of the rule of Saturn, right, um, they, they would have, uh, you know, everything was milk and honey and, you know, like every abundancy flowed, right? Um, and in Rome, they would have the Saturnalia, and basically all the slaves would switch place with the rulers for one day. And the slaves would wear the Phrygian hat. And this comes from ancient Chaldee. Um, the, the origin of the Phrygian hat was in the Chaldee mysteries. And we do see Nimrod at one point in Persia wearing the Phrygian hat as well. But um, that was related to the Chaldean mysteries, right? Um, which is very much along these same lines of, of a later personification of what Voltaire is kind of initiating these kings and queens into. But that red hat during that Saturnalia, um, all the freed slaves would wear the red hat. So basically during the time of the French Revolution, that was the symbol of the freed slaves. So those that were freed from the yoke of the church that symbolically wore that Phrygian hat. But in, during the French Revolution, they actually wore it so they would know who the other um, agent provocateurs were so they wouldn't kill them. Um, and, and, you know, some of the stories as far as the French Revolution, man, I mean, they were, they had a gunpowder concoction that they had mixed up and they would go around and basically stuff it through a funnel down um, like homeless people's throats and it would cause them to go insane and go on killing rampages. Um, there was oh, like, shit. Oh yeah, all kinds of subvert stuff going on to excite, excite and stimulate the masses into rioting and basically tearing down, you know, the bourgeoisie. You know, um, let them eat cake. It's like, it, but that's the whole thing. And when we talk about revolutions and specifically this type of revolution, um, the thing we have to understand in modern times as a modern people and people that are talking about wanting a revolution now is revolutions decimate, kill masses, hollow out uh, countries, and, and leave countries in a situation where they're left to be dominated by the power vacuum. So, so if there's going to be any kind of a revolution – it, we have to come to the point where we mentally outthink them and use their system subvertly against them yes. in order to maintain and, and regain our liberties and our and our fundamental, you know, God, uh, inalienable born rights, you know, wh whatever you want to attribute that to, you know, um, we're all sovereigns on the earth, you know, and and from a libertarian standpoint, you know, your rights end where my nose begins. As long as what you're doing doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right right i like that yeah so as long as you what you're doing is not hurting me or affecting me in a negative way um physically you know then yeah. then you have the right to do whatever the hell you want you know um and, and and just this modern push of of the world economic forum it literally is a push back to serfdom you know and and they've done this through history you know like i said uh what was it there when when uh, 
the king died and um, they brought back in serfdom. You know, when Frederick, uh, who was it? Let's see. But yeah, when when uh, that king died, that that basically supplied all that religious freedom. Um, not only did they take away the religious freedom of that region, but they brought back serfdom. They took away their their money, you know. So so again, we we see this is not a new this is not a new thing that that's going on. You know, it's just the most um, current push for this type of philosophy. Um, you know, you were mentioning something before, and I hate to I hate to go back like kind yeah. of. Off the topic. Well, a little bit. You mentioned the red hats and that kind of representing kind of like uh, getting away from, I guess, was Catholic control. You know what I'm saying? Or the ch- it, right. Well, as a symbol, they looked at it as being a freed slave from the church. Yeah. So as a symbol, they wore the red hat as the symbol of the freed slave. See, that also think makes me think of like um, supposedly, you know, when me and Lux were kind of covering the Shriners a little bit. You know, you hear about the hat is supposedly red because it's been dipped in like the Christians and and the, you know, blood. Yeah. So again, like it's almost kind of going back to like even, I see kind of a resemblance to that. Well, Well, because that you had to fight for your freedom. The other one, you you just got handed it for it for a day. Well, and that was the thing with the, the, you go. Well, depending on how they're looking at it. I'm not saying they were right for killing whoever. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's how they're saying. War is hell. Yeah. Um, but when you go back to the Templars and, and the fights between the Muslims or the Saracens, um, yeah, that was the case that they basically took the Fez and, and you know, rolled, so I've read it in a couple places at least that they rolled it in the blood. And that was a symbol, a symbol of, of maintaining their own sovereignty, you know. Um, so in a way, it does have a very and very much like when you see uh, Che Guevara. Um, and he's got the red beret, you know, that is the French symbol of revolution, you know, so we see that, uh, you know, and then back to Donald Trump. Oh, that's even like, um, fuck with those people, the, uh, the guardian angels in New York. And they wear the red beret. Oh yeah. And they're fucking real close with Giuliani and Trump. And they were, they were basically, (laughs) they've been associated with each other. If the government can't take care of us, we're taking care of ourselves. So they became the liberated you know, of of the new, of the new order, basically. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The red hat is definitely an interesting subject matter, Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, yeah, I was even thinking about the red, the, the, even the thing you just mentioned now, I was thinking about that too, when I was thinking of the Fez hat Mm -hmm. and the other hat, I was like, I wonder if all those red hats got something like, kind of like, uh, like all a commonality with them. Yeah. Oh, they, I think they do. I think they do. Um, and let's see one of the thing. Now, one of the things that, that happened was when this, this it's called a convulsion in a lot of the different books, as far as these revolutions popping off. Right. Um, when the French revolution happened, um, the Rhineland and Germany, they got a lot of the benefits um, because they had been in relation as far as, you know, with the French coming in and defending the Lutherans. There had been a trade in philosophy as far as texts. And, you know, anytime a philosopher would have to flee, they would go into this region. Um, and so a lot of what happened with the French Revolution benefited Germany as far as giving them certain liberties, right? And in Germany, 
this because they didn't have to work for it and they didn't have to fight for it um it caused like an anti-libertine philosophy to start to arise within the the reich and the the volk and the military sector um so you basically have um you know this and and you have those puritanists that are teaching the children so they're teaching them loyalty and you know all these these uh and and so what begins to happen is you begin to create this um this mechanistic society that's ruled by the force of the government of the military you know in in this area right which is why we're having the rise in the future of the kaiser and and the strongest military to that point on the planet you know um so let's see um um 30 year war all right so this is where we're going to get into um hegel mm. right um and his name was carl Friedrich wilhelm hegel right and because of these um, Puritans and their position within the teaching system, right, um, the children that were being brought up had a certain moral philosophy and outlook on society, which a lot of people credit um, Hegel's philosophy. And he basically writes about moral righteousness, um, not from the sense of religion, but from the sense of existence. Um, and, and he's also the one that gets into the, the idea of dialectics, right? Um, and he propagates, um, you know, like David. And his Eichow. name is Hegel? Hegel, yeah. It makes me think of haggling. Um, it's like the same thing, going back and forth to get what you want well, out of the person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know how David, David Icke has problem reaction solutions? Yes, yeah. Okay, that's Hegel. That is Hegel's philosophy at its base, okay, um, as far as within dialectics. Uh -huh. And Hegel taught that you have thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, right? So you, again, and now Hegel is in this region where within the philosophical circles, the tarot of the Bohemian is widely circulated, right? And when we get into the tarot of the Bohemian, as far as occult philosophy, um, that is exactly the way that the reading of the cards, or as they say, the energy of Yahweh, Yad Hevahe, works. Whereas you essentially have the Yad, and you mix it with the He, and you get the Ve. So that's that's Hegel's dialectics, right? Which is also David Icke's problem, reaction, solution. And from that solution. You get the final yad he vad he. You get the end a, which is the the beginning of the new system. Yeah. So as far as dialectics and directing energy and how to manipulate systems and and looking at Merlin and understanding how the wheels work and introducing slight changes into those systems to you know so we're we're talking about the philosophy of manipulation right and and essentially hegel gets into the idea that um like how you have your own individual spirit and i have my own individual spirit so also does the city you live in 
have its own individual spirit. And the town that I live in have its own individual spirit. And not only that, but nations have their own individual spirit. And, and these are living, active entities that, that basically inflect and move through time to create and propagate. And, and, and it's basically the idea of that synthesis, antisynthesis, you know, um, that, that basically brings about the change, you know? So, so, and it was Hegel. Um, let's see. And I just had someone, I just had someone in the chat saying Hegel is a critical touch point where religion and government became uh, intertwined. Yes, very much so. Um, and, and uh, so in, and Hegel was at the Jena um, University from 1800. He was at Heidelberg from 1816 and he was in Berlin from 1818. Mm. And he basically is the person behind German idealism, you know? Um, now in 1816, um, we have again the rise of the anti-Jewish laws, right? And and you know, consistently we see around the world, you know, in all the the countries that have Jews, they're consistently persecuted, they're consistently driven out. You know, I mean, going back to Columbus having to leave, um, you know, um, where he was, I forgot, but basically the the king married a queen and they put an edict down, and all the Jews had to be out of the city by sunrise. You know, so that's when he jumped on the boat and, and left. Um, but, you know, we consistently see, just like we consistently see the Jesuits in their social experiments being exiled and thrown out of every country um, for similar manipulations. You know, um, the, the, the Jewish were being accused of manipulating the money. And there was also, again, uh, you know, back to the, the French Revolution, um, and, and it's commonly associated anytime they're trying to create a revolutionary philosophy they introduce the idea of the the jews as the money taker being corrupt they introduce the ideas of blood magic they introduce the ideas of eating children they introduce the idea so you know what we're seeing within a lot of the conspiracy culture oh that's uh, been the accusations that have been going on for thousands of years thousands of years but they are introduced into cultures and societies at points in which they're wish, wishing to facilitate uprise because they're wanting to get the people into such a state of fervor, you know? Um, but nonetheless, it was in, um, while Hegel was at the University of Berlin in 1818, um, Karl Marx was born. And um, he was born in Tyre, Russia or Prussia, sorry. And um, so he's in Prussia, and his family um, basically ran vineyards. And mm. um, because of these anti-Jewish laws, um, his father um, converted from Herschel Levy um, to Herschel Marx. I believe it was Herschel. But it was from Levy as the last name to Marx, right? And there's been some different researchers that I've seen that have put together the idea that the Levy line, the Bauer line and the Rothschild line are all the same family line that just as they have moved, 
you know, and, and it's not necessarily that they're even Jewish. It's more the idea that there's a possible underlying philosophy that uses all cultures to subvert and moves, you know, within them. Because now when you, when you get into like Voltaire during the Enlightenment, he would dress up as a Jansenist with the big hat and put on the Jansenist robes and he would go to the Jansenist churches and he would talk, you know, and he would like one of the things that he, it was kind of funny, but he would pull people off and get into a discussion with them about occult philosophy. Right. And people would come and gather around and start to listen. And when the, the conversation would really get hot, right. He would step back and he'd be like, but I don't associate with heretics such as this and da, 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 da. And then, you know, basically leaving that person just hanging. And then he would take his, pious sophistry and, and, <laughs> and go basically run the same hustle on some other poor innocent dupe you know but it was the idea of inflecting these ideas in society you know um so marx um as he's growing up um his oldest brother um moritz is a disciple of voltaire so marx you know was was well aware of the writings of voltaire and the enlightenment philosophy and um you know uh so he ends up going to college in bonn westphalia and he is in a poets club at that time um that is monitored by the police and um hmm. he's from the bourgeoisie um he, you know so he is from that class that he basically you know criticizes down the road in the communist manifesto um but nonetheless <laughs> um he ends up getting married to jenny von westfallen who is of what they call petty nobility and she actually already had a engagement um and she was going to marry up socially um but her and karl marx fell in love and she broke off that and actually married down into the bourgeoisie you know so um but nonetheless, um, Marx ends up going to Berlin, um, the college in Berlin, in 1836. And this is when Marx really gets into Hegel. And, and he becomes, you know, um, just like engulfs himself in all the writings of Hegel and basically becomes a, a hardcore follower of Hegel, right? Um, and he's in a group that is called the Young Hegelians. And um, they're basically radical thinkers that specialize in the idea of dialectics. Um, so, uh, basically, to like mind fuck people with words, right? Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Because the idea is with Marx um, being, you know, um, bathed from his youth in the ideas of the Enlightenment. Um, he basically wants to, and, and when you look at communism and the Communist Manifesto, um, he's actually taking the tenets of the church and basically turning them into features of government. So he's basically creating a government that's run exactly like the church, but instead of God being the head of the church, it's the, um, you know, the head of whatever, you know, whoever the head of you know, communism flavor of the month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just um, it's just changing who's in power. It's not really the system. Right, right. 
Um, and, and so when you look overall at Marx's works, um, he's involved in Hegelianism, and he's involved in the ideas of French utopian philosophy because the Communist Manifesto is a utopian philosophy where essentially um, once capitalism collapses and the state is running everything in a technocratic technotronic matter um, where everything's evenly distributed to everyone, then everyone will only have to work a couple hours a day. And then you can go out and spend your free time like painting or looking at books or, you know, so it communism is indeed in the end, a utopian philosophy. And if we look at the word utopia itself, that means, you know, when you translate it, it means nowhere. It's, it's something that can never exist right because nothing perfect can exist on the face of the earth yeah man is corrupted by by default you know um or easily corrupted i should say there are some some people that maintain piety longer than others um so uh and it was in 1846 that he writes the communist manifesto in brussels and as reuters news service has told us um, that he was indeed funded by the Rothschilds when he wrote the Communist Manifesto, right? So, um, and he's still in league with the uh, League of the Just, which was a secret society that he had been involved in for a number of years, which became public with the writing of the Communist Manifesto. And um, so when we get into, now I want to get into kind of the, Prussian, um, we talked about the, the schooling system in regard to these Puritans coming in and inflecting the ideas that led to the me- mechanistic society that became, you know, the, the Reich of the Kaiser, that became, you know, the fear of the, Brit- the British military. Basically, they thought that the Germans at this point were going to, you know, take over the entire world. So the Kaiser had to be brought down, you know. Um, but nonetheless, Um, One of Marx's um, key tenets in communism is free school for all, right? And so, and and basically, you know, my my wife's a public school teacher. And, and, you know, we debate school matters frequently, you know. Um, And the teachers, when, when you get into the ideas of the schools, um, the teachers, again, they are, they have the best heart and mind. They're mm. there to try to help the children. You know, um, there, there are some that are there for the paycheck and the benefits. Don't get me wrong. But any, anyone that lasts for a period of time, I mean, you know, what does the Bible say? God bless the poor righteous teachers. You know, it's like, it's like um, they're there because they feel they're doing service to society in regard to creating the, the next generation, right? As far as making the whole stronger, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but when you look at the Communist Manifesto and you look at the philosophy of, you know, schooling and it, schooling, quote unquote, you know, not, not education, but schooling, um, the, the idea is to homogenize the whole so that everyone thinks in the same manner, right? And, um, Homogenize whole milk. Yeah. Well, (laughs) they homogenize it, don't you? They spin it so fast that the molecules break up and they can't come back together. So it leaves them all floating in stasis evenly distributed. 
So when you look at homogenization, that's what they want. They want to, to spin us around and leave us all floating in stasis without wow. a full understanding of the whole. They, and, and, you know, when you get into early, early American education and you get into the Rockefellers um, and them basically coming into the rise of, of the Protestant movement in early America, um, they were the ones that interjected the ideas of a good day's work. You know, oh. and and it so we we see this consistently through history of of this money class basically creating the conditions for what they're trying to bring about, right? Uh. Um, and now in Prussia, back to Prussia, um, Prussia was the first place that basically um, standardized education, and and they brought all the kids into a schoolhouse. Um, and they basically wanted to separate it from the hands of the church and the hands of the family because they wanted the children to have a strong attitude about the, the condition of the government and a national pride, right? Very much how we have American exceptionalism now, right? Um, so basically the five key goals of the Prussian education system were obedient workers, obedient soldiers, right? Um, and they had what they called the tall boys of the soldiers, right? And they were, you know, hearkening back to the Anunnaki and the giants in the days of old. They basically had these tall boys that they were clumsy. They weren't good at fighting. They were like, you know, but they would parade them out as symbols of how strong the nation was to encourage the, the other, you know, and well, and they were the first ones that actually had national, like modeled after Rome. Um, they had national conscription, where it, it got to the point where they were having a problem getting mercenary troops. So they basically required that everyone of a certain age basically be conscripted and and serve a certain time in the military. Right? Oh wow! Yeah. So everyone had to serve in the military, much like Israel now. Um, so, but. Um, they all, and then they also had the idea of um, civil servants that would um, be subordinated and work for the government. Basically, you know, every, you know, basically, like like when you see the press secretary, you know, laying it out, you know, whatever the common meme of the day is, you know, that's 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 how she's gonna stick to her guns. You know, it's like it's like even though you know I'm lying straight to your face and you can see with your own eyes that what I'm telling you is a lie. You know, I'm going to maintain the idea of the government and what is best for the national pride. Right. Uh. So they had the civil servants and they also wanted to create clerks for industry that would work in the same favor for the government. Right. Um, and then the last tenant of the Prussian public education system was they wanted citizens that thought alike in regard to national issues. Right. So in um, 1840, we have have you ever heard of Horace Mann? Uh, I think so. I think. so. Yes. Yeah, so he's behind a lot of what became the American education system. Right. So Horace Mann, who is the secretary of the Massachusetts Board of Education, um, he basically takes a trip to Prussia. And, you know, sees how 
everything is mechanized. How and the Prussians were also the first ones that uh, brought the use of the clock into the school system and set up a schedule throughout the day. You know, so basically, you show up at eight o'clock. You have this class, this class. So they're the first ones that created the idea of regimented classes in a, and, and compartmentalization of subject matter. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, the different classes and shit. Right, right. So um, Horace Mann, he goes over and basically comes back and he just raves about, you know, um, how great the, the Prussian education system is and, you know, all the things that, and how all the students are so well disciplined and well versed in their subject matter. And so he brings that back and basically introduces the Prussian education system into the United States and it becomes what we currently have as the current um and granted it's morphed over time and it's changed and and you know um but nonetheless it's it's the overall same you know compartmentalized yeah that's wild system um that different classes going from here to there like a bunch of herd sheep but but the thing was um they had set it up so that it was the school to military pipeline where basically you train these students up so that they would become part of the state and the military, right? And and that created the the powerhouse that became German mechanism, you know, um, right into Hitler's Third Reich, you know, essentially. Um, but nonetheless, um, and and it was in 1898 that B.F. Skinner, who at Harvard University basically came up with the Skinner box, which they overlaid over the Prussian uh, model. And that Skinner box is where they basically trained mice inside of a box that anything that they wanted, they had to appeal to authority. Like if they wanted a treat, they had to hit a button until a person would come feed them. If they wanted a drink, you know, if they wanted any. So basically what that did, that Skinner box um, from B.F. Skinner, when they incorporated that in with the Prussian, um, you know, class system, um, they basically overlaid the idea that in the student's mind, there's always an authority that you must look to to determine whether you can go to the bathroom, go to lunch, go to your next class, you know, anything. So, so in the minds of the individuals that are in this system, when they get out, and the collegiate system also propagates this as well with you know block systems and but nonetheless you get in and and your viewpoint becomes always seeking an authority to give you the answer for things Uh. on a subtle level you know what i'm saying so so basically um that's pretty much the storyline um and and showing how um through the course of the subversion of crown and altar and the Lutherans, the Calvinists, the Jacobites, how they basically used the dictionary for changing definitions, the encyclopedia to make people think about things in a certain way, um, the publishing of the plunder and the history to cause people in their minds to want to rise against the system, um, to the creation of the education system. Yeah, that, how- that blew me away, even how like down to... Like the mm. education system is just like that. That's right. Why. But but from but also from the government stance as far as how 
um, the ideas of communism were precipitated and, and the free schooling was, was part of that tenet to homogenize the whole. And up to the point that, that they gave us the internet, I think it was working really well, yeah. you know? And, and I think now that, you know, because for the most part, you know, they know people don't read. Um, but now that, that people that do read are able to explore these subject matters and then come on shows like yours and openly talk about them, you know, then what we're doing is, is, I mean, in a way we're really facilitating the continuation of that enlightenment. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's but, wild though. With, with this school, if you think about it, it's like, did you ever realize like everything that fucks us in the ass or screws us over is always yeah. handed to us as like a convenience. Like I can yeah. see the free schooling for back yeah. then was just yeah. like, you know, for parents who didn't want to be inconvenienced with teaching their right. own kid. Oh, that yeah. sounds great. Right. <laughs> well, and, and then you look at better living through chemistry and the rise of the TV dinner, yeah. you know, and, and, and the, the propagation of all the chemicals in the food and, and, you know, and then they propagate the idea of genetically modifying the food so they can feed more people, even though it arbitrarily contradicts the, the, all the information and the, Oh, and one of the things just to bring it up, it's mm -hmm. not even necessarily, well, it kind of ties into all this, uh, in regard to historical conspiracy. But did you know Madame Blavatsky, when she came to America, she actually married a senator. And it was that senator, while she was married to him, that was in charge of researching and looking into turning sugar into an industry. And and basically, wow. so Madame Blavatsky's husband was behind um, the propagation of sugar into the modern diet. Wow, and you and when you look at all that entails in regard to um, the you know all poisons are sweet, you know, and just some work slower than others, you know. So if if it's yeah, just some that's wild that you just mentioned sugar because how much of that can really fuck up a body? That's what I'm saying, man. So so when fuck. you when you got the idea that you know they want and and government the word government itself is gubina mente which is gubina, which means to govern or to steer, and mente is the mind. So, you know, and if a governor, if a government does it correctly, you have a prosperous people, you know, but, but that's the whole thing. Um, you know, um, in a way, we, by talking about this, we're facilitating the exact philosophy of the, the liberal meme, you know, um, but but more what I'm trying to draw attention to is the struggle between these two and and the sophistry or those that were the traveling salesmen, you know, that basically um, created the ideas of mind fucking people with words. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and just how and it's like, uh, you know, I get into that that idea of the mercury, you know. Thoth, Hermes, Trismegistus, you know, um, the, the trice great, you know, how that character um, was handed down, you know, as far as Mercury being the god of the merchants and the thieves and the travelers, you know, and he's got, you know, the staff in one hand with the two snakes that are basically oh, the Caduceus, making the yeah. snake oil, right? And then in the other... <laughs> I never yep, thought of yep. that. And in the other hand, he holds the bag. <laughs> Snake oil sales. 
right? <laughs> and the other hand, he holds the bag of money, right? And what does he have on his feet? He's got wings to fly. So, you know, it's uh, it's the idea of, uh, you know, the hustler. Yeah. I mean, Mercury is the god of the hustler, man. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're just all the time, you know, pushing snake oil on us, man. And, and through sophistry, you know. And well, and even when you start getting, you get into Mercury, I mean, you start getting into speech and knowledge at that point, too, as well. So right. it's like, you know, you're manipulating yeah. through wordage or like we were saying right. before, definitions, mind fucking people with different yeah. ways of saying shit. And the, the keepers of the understanding of the speech and the keepers of that knowledge, you know? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. So Yo, that was a, yeah. that was badass, man. That was a lot of Thanks, fucking dude. shit, dude. I know, right? <laughs> I well last night I was trying to hammer it all out and I was like, just stick to the key points, man. Because dude, <laughs> it's it's just a, a swath of so much convoluted information and this king killing that king and this prince over and just Oh dude, it was totally and, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. It <laughs> really it was. Right. You know, what's right. funny is that you even, I think when I looked at the message, when you text me about confirming for the time, it was like three o'clock <laughs> in the morning too. I was like, yo, this dude's yeah. up late. I was, yeah, I crashed about three thirty. Yeah. So, yeah. Yo, but thank you so much for, I mean, that was a, that was a whole lot of stuff. I mean, that's what I expected having you on anyway. So yeah. thank you, man. That was a solid yeah. fucking episode with a lot of shit in it. Yeah. I really appreciate it. You know, I just, man, so people can have a semblance of some of the ideas of where some of this stuff comes, comes from. from. I exactly say that a lot. What we're dealing with, you know, and the origin of these philosophies and how they've been used and how they work and how it's been facilitated consistently through time. You know? I think that's very important. And like I, I had mentioned it recently, I think like, you know, this was a while ago I had said that, you know, I was on a round table with people and I think they were kind of going off about like, you know, what's the point of covering such old shit? And I was just mm. like, well, I, I think that's the problem is that, we don't fully understand our past. So we actually right. don't understand where the fuck we are in the future. And those who don't know their past are doomed to repeat, you know, to repeat it. Yeah. So it's like we, we have to, well, you know, and, and when you get into, you know, the Native American idea of Watika, and, and it's, it's this idea of, you know, the philosophy of the white man consuming all. I mean, the, the consumer culture, as far as, you know, you know, it, it, they've created a culture wherein they've taken our historic cultures away from us and homogenized us into this idea of a global, you know, um, personification where, where they're, they're basically trying to um, now bring back serfdom, you know, through, through the current communist man, machination of, of the World Economic Forum, you know, and, and, I even saw somewhere where um, where uh, the Rothschild and the uh, um, the the lines involved with that had also at one point changed their name to um, what's a uh, Schwab. So you know, it's it's. I mean, so there's a, a distinct possibility that Marx, Schwab, Rothschilds, the Bowers, um, you know. Um, according to some people that have traced that lineage, those lineages back, um, these are these are all possibly one bloodline. And I'm a Marx, you know, so I take inherent <laughs> interest in this, in all this, you know, because man, I mean, and and what really kills me is, you know, I've spent the last 
I don't know, at least a decade on and off, you know, reading the, the writings of Marx and Engels just to kind of have a, a philological understanding of what that philosophy is. And man, when I hear people talk about what communism is, most of the time they are very far off, you know, um, especially when you get into um, a lot of people that believe in um, social aspects of democracy, you know, and I can agree that certain aspects uh, that we have as far as um, like the road system and the fire brigade, you know, which was founded by Benjamin Frank, Benjamin Franklin actually had buckets that had a point on the bottom so that you couldn't set the bucket down and walk away because once you were involved in it, it was like passing buckets to put out fires. I think there's some aspects societally that we need in regard to maintaining the health of the nation. But when you look at Marxist system, capitalism at its, at, at its extreme collapses into socialism at its, at its extreme collapses into communism. And it was actually when Lenin took the iron train into um, Russia um, that, that when he got off the train, he switched the name of the party from the National Socialist Party to the National Communist Party. So there's, there's points, you know, where we can, and, and in order for a collapse from capitalism into socialism, one of the things that's necessary is for the government to have um, unlimited spending, to throw as much money in as much direction as as fast as possible to devalue to deflate to sounds like you know now. and we got trump who who issued 40 percent of the currency in one year you know funding the, the 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 whole pandemic situation um which however you stand on that you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. but and then you have um biden who's in there now and it's just like it's like you know, between and, and don't get me wrong, it's not just the current ones. I mean, you have from from Reagan and Bush senior into, you know, the Clintons and the drug running and the Bush junior. And and it's it's a cartel. It's it's a dynasty. Basically, uh, it's been, you know, facilitated coming out of the operations of from what I can see, the CIA. Um, but nonetheless, um, they're at the point where the, you know, between Trump devaluing the currency and Biden, you know, and then uh, you have the Afghanistan debacle, which Assange talks about the fact that it, it's just a giant washing machine to, to transfer wealth, uh, you know, so that was the longest war America had ever been in. And that whole thing was just to, to move money, you know, and, and we're paying for everybody to build back better except for us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like they say, you know, you will you will own nothing and you will be happy and you must eat the bugs. But at the same time, they're eating at the French laundry. They're flying around the world on jets. They're yeah. they, they're like riding around in their limousines. They're like they got know, beach so, houses, but they're going on about climate change. Climate change. Right? <laughs> Obama, Obama bought, yeah, it was a four point five million house right on the water. And they're going on about climate change. So, you know, when you know, the, it's the idea of you shall know them by their fruits. And, and, you know, they are doing the exact opposite of everything they're preaching. But is it to create the narrative that's required in regard to the theater to precipitate the changing of the minds of men? Oh, for sure. You know? That's what I think. Very much like yeah. the Shakespearean plays and the Globe Theater. You know, we see 
consistently, you know. And if you look back at movies and TV, you know, when they're wanting to demonize, you know, the the Arabs, you know, you have all these people in, you know, with the turbans. When they're wanting to demonize the Russians during the Cold War, they put out a certain type of product. So it's, you know, and it's it's very much like bringing back the Top Gun movie, you know, and redoing <laughs> Top Gun. They're re-elevating the Russian propaganda, you know, to bring yeah. back because – you know, and, that's what I was I saying think, with 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 what's going on with Russia and then monkeypox. I was like, yo, this is like going back mm -hmm. to AIDS in the Cold War. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, and what did the CDC say? All you need is a Band-Aid. But it's <laughs> yeah. an emergency. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. But anyways, man, that's it. Yo, that was killer, dude. Thank you very much, yeah. man. For real. Yeah. For real. So, um, do you want to let anybody know where they can reach you? I mean, I, I think I did add already links for you, but yeah. uh, um, I don't think I'm I had you. Instagram at Robbie R O B B Y Marks M A R X. Um, if you Google R dot Marks Artist, um, I'll pop up. I'm pretty easy, easily Googleable. Um, but I'm on Facebook. I'm on. And, oh, and I I'll also say this, man. I've got a series of uh, 14 hours of information that uh, I've kind of researched, and it's all like uh, pre-biblical um that that i have in the form of mp3s um that i have mastered with music behind it and everything oh, and if anybody's yeah if anybody's interested in listening to those i've sent them out to a couple people and they seem to have really enjoyed them but uh you if if they can find me and get a hold of me um i can send you some links to listen to that stuff if you're interested oh yeah that's gangster so, that's awesome dude yeah yeah nice so. man so but yeah you man that's great. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure you already already put links for you in the bottom. I could be wrong. I can't check now. Yeah, but I'm yeah. pretty sure I already did. If not, I will add them. I know I have a bunch of yours that I saved on a notepad. Yeah. Um, and, again, if anybody is listening and you have not heard him do in his uh, Nimrod series, please go back and check that out. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Just like this one, you killed it, Robbie. That's why I had you come back on, bro. I really, I can't stress it enough. Like you, I really appreciate what you do. You come on, you, you tell a lot of information and a plethora of crap. Uh, that was yeah. a lot to take in. People probably had to listen to it two or three times, but that was a lot of stuff. And I really appreciate that, dude. Yeah. For real. And, and man, that's, you know, that's just uh, the, you know, after all, after all these years of researching and digging. You're like, I got to have something to show for it. <laughs> well, the thing is, this is the just one of the most recent rabbit holes that I've gone down, kind of because of the whole Marx connection. Man. Yeah. So I kind of traced that back in regard to how this philosophy rose and came about, and and you know, like, what are we actually battling here? You know. You know, I think that's a really good point about you. You know, and I meant to mention this uh, before, and then I guess we'll I'll, then I'll shut up and we'll wrap it up. But even like at times when me and Lux have looked into certain schools or universities, we've come across like how they will come, um, there'll be these these universities that seem very Catholic-like. If you go mm. to the page, you see churches and shit. But yeah. then yet they stay off for programs to send people over to Germany and go at university. Yeah. Yeah. Which then pushes Marxism. So it's like, how the fuck does this make any sense? And it's like, we're, we're kind of talking about that earlier yeah. and I'm still seeing it now when, when yeah. we cover certain yeah. things. So there's something yeah. up with that shit, but Germany, Gawaith, the Marxism, definitely. Yep. The, uh, the German Illuminists and the Bavarian Illuminati. And it's uh dude, it's just the most intriguing <laughs> stuff to really like get into and read. Sure. About. That was really interesting and just that. to hear you 
cover that and thinking about the other stuff I've seen. Well, and trying to create a narrative. So yes, kind of yeah. Of Can we see what's really going on? Forces and, you know, and I'm sure in a couple hundred years, people will be talking about the United States like this. So <laughs> I think you're right, unfortunately. Uh, all right. So, yeah, that is uh, the end of another NY Patriot episode. Thank you, everybody who jumped in the chat. Uh, all of you, there was a bunch of you. I can't I'm not going to read all your names out, but you all know who you are. Thank you very much for jumping in. That's why I do the lives. Uh, I can't thank Robbie enough again. Uh, thank you, Robbie, for coming on. And until the next one, everybody be well. Later.